Alright. Welcome, one and all, to yet another episode of Never Stay Dead, the podcast that will not die despite lengthy absences from any updates. I am your co-host, Matt, along with my partner in crime. Good old Damien here. All right. Um, or otherwise known as Sleepy Reader. Yes, it took us a long time to rejuvenate after our last death. Yes. But we are back. <laughs> and uh, with a lengthy, lengthy book that we're looking at. Right. So we are going to be talking about the entirety of November by Matt Fraction, Eliza Cartier, Matt Hollingsworth, and Kurt Ineke. I probably butchered every one of those names. You got Matt Fraction, right? (laughs) I think it's Elsa Chartier, and I think it's Kurt Ankeny as the, the letterer. But yeah, I mean, we want to talk about this whole thing that took you know months to come out when i initially pitched us doing this it hadn't finished yet and right but we thought it was a bunch of standalone stories right that's what i assumed it was going to be i thought it was going to be not even if it was necessarily completely standalone i thought it was going to be more slice of life and that chunks would be more independent if not anything and the truth is is like it's actually very plot driven, but you can't tell that. <laughs> right. And like also maybe till the second volume or so. I wasn't able to really wrap my head around this until I effectively read it almost twice. Um, I read volumes one through three once, and then I've read volume four once after reading all those volumes again. Right. So and have you mentioned these are hardback books, beautifully constructed hardback books that I guess have come out over what the period of maybe eight or nine months. Um, and and Matt very generously I think sent me the first two or maybe first three volumes. Yeah, I had very high expectations before reading them of something really cool. I yeah. Um... So I had a really hard time following this, but what I've done is I've taken some very high-level notes, and I was thinking before we talk about this book, maybe just talking through the high-level plot might make a better listen. That way right. our listeners so have any idea. We're spoiling it at the beginning. Yes. So if you're someone who wants to read this and you don't want to be spoiled, go back, go and buy all four volumes, read them, then come back here. But I bet a lot of people are just curious and will be okay with the basic plot being spoiled before they decide whether they want to buy this book or not, these books or not, because it's kind of a commitment. You have to buy all four volumes, basically, to get the story. Yeah, you're not going to get anything out of a single volume. And each volume costs $17, which is a good deal for hardbacks, but they are, are there page numbers? I don't think so, but they're probably, oh, they're, they're, they're about 75 pages each. And you'll probably get them for some amount of discount wherever you buy them. And I wonder if eventually they'll come out in a single volume or something. Or two better volumes. I, the fact that this was four felt a little like thin, a bit odd. 
I don't know. Well, I think that's that's part of that's the cheating part of this by putting it, putting what is basically chapters of a larger novel into hardbacks gives the wrong impression of what you're buying. Yeah. But now we're warning everybody so they'll know. If if you're willing to buy a four four hardback book then 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 do do that. <laughs> right. So so the, the big f- picture you're going to give us. Yeah, right after a quick note. This opens on a Thomas Hood poem that is known as November, but the way it's published in the book it looks like it means it it looks like the title is no exclamation point. And I, I I don't know what it is that just kind of irked me cuz the title of the poem is November and it's like the title of this is November. Why would you change the title in the publishing? Is of that, that a there? Does the poem start just with a one line that says no? Because um, they have it at the top. It does not. Well, I mean, it starts word. no sun, no moon, but not right. no. Not that no that's at the top. So you do think the title is of the poem is no. And that is emblematic of the mat fraction problem here, sort of gone too far. Okay, I'll be curious to see. Let's get through. Okay, so let's get through this. So um, we'll see how all my notes go. So first, we're introduced to a character called D. Um, she takes a deal from someone who's looks to be something of a mobster who we're going to know as Mr. Man um, to flip a light behind a door with an ever-changing lock uh, tied to a key. But that was confusing because that was his metaphor. But that's not what she's really doing, right? She's looking something up in the newspaper every day and solving a puzzle which gives her a sequence of numbers that she sends out on a radio an illegal radio apparently i don't know why it's illegal an illegal radio that she sends out every morning at like really early in the morning the reason it's illegal is it's because it's a non-authorized short band broadcast but the chance of anyone catching or caring about that is nil and frankly like kids that's like a pirate radio thing like right uh, but that plays to the end of the book Um, it does um but but so that was confusing in itself right she's not i don't think she's doing anything with lights and stuff the 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 mr man was using a very convoluted metaphor for that right i mean she does have to flip the light on and off signifies when is there a, light that, a physical light she turns on and off yeah it, it, it you flip it on to it, well the light comes on when she's broadcasting basically it's part of the power it's not really important at all um, but someone is receiving a radio broadcast with some numbers that she doesn't know what they mean right she just knows she has to do it so she's doing something illegal but she doesn't understand really what's happening neither do we we just know that it's shady and that she's getting paid very well for it. Five hundred dollars so, a day in cash. Yeah, which I wouldn't mind. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year. Yeah, no breaks. So it's a lot of cash. Um, and then she kind of freaks out because she's trapped with all this money. She can only spend so much; otherwise, people will notice. Um, and so she's trying to get some nudie booth dancer to come home with her or to get in there just to talk with them because she's just insanely lonely. Um, the owner kicks her out and this owner won't let the girls stop dancing, even though D just wants to talk to her, which hit me as weird. I'm going to come back to this part because this part 
it was a big part of the book for me. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's she's just in love with a stripper in one of those places where you put money in the machine, mm-hmm. which I don't know if they still have that. I've seen that in old movies. Um, and just to sum it up, um, D is a lesbian crippled junkie. Right. That isn't all revealed to us up front, but that's just... We might as well spoil that here. Um, yeah. Um, there's a... Then we cut to a different scene, and there's some lady, at this point we don't know who she is, and she picks up a gun in a puddle and reports it to the police, and for doing so gets thrown in the police trunk uh, for having reported it, basically, at least from her perspective, and that's odd. Okay, so then we cut to our other main... See? This is part of the problem. So we cut to our next main character, who's known as Kowalski, who is, at this point, a 911 dispatcher. She's a larger black lady. um, And we find her immediately lying to her partner. We don't know why. She's causing a ruckus at the station, um, giving cops a bunch of crap yeah that's kind of that chapter <laughs> i also found uh kowalski harder for me to grasp onto because the cursive that they use for her internal monologue and the captions because there's no thought bubbles it's all captions which why why we're away from marvel there's no reason for it I, anyways um all of the fonts are a little a little bit hard to read but you're right her thought process which is in a fake cursive is the hardest they spend a lot of time on her without giving us a lot of information. I just, even the information we got, I may have not fully gotten because again, I I struggled reading that font, um, and part of that I know is because uh, my generation was not brought up with nearly as much cursive, so I've always had a harder time with it. But uh... I think eventually we learned she was one. She was a corrupt cop who got in trouble somehow with something to do with her gun and got demoted to a 911 dispatcher. Well, yeah, she, she wasn't super, I mean, she wasn't above board, but she wasn't as corrupt as the other cops will see. Um, but she let, um, something slide with evidence that became a problem. And so they had to essentially penalize her, even though what she was doing was more upstanding than, I thought she Which also knew about some other corruption, but she may, yeah, that there's yeah. a lot of unclearness. <laughs> Part of the problem too is because this is told in a postmodern, non-linear way. What people know and when is hard to tell, and sometimes right. when we have flashback scenes, because it's a lot of the same characters only happening months before. Honestly, I did it. I didn't know sometimes that we were supposed to be in the past because there's nothing to indicate it. For a book called November, you think that they would note what month we're in. That would just be such a keen yeah. device for something like this. It, th- that bothered me, especially because, again, November. Um, well, so I even confused the two female characters the first time they switched between them. Because I thought it was just the same person with a different hairdo or something at a different time in her life. That's very understandable. Um, we close the first book with a 
dinner with D and Mr. Man that's supposed to further elucidate on their relationship or what's going on there, and I got nothing from it. Um, we find the lady who was put into the trunk is Emma Rose, who's a girl who likes to fly kites really high. Um, right, she's kind of the country girl moved to the big city, yeah, and upset about the way people treat each other in the city and stuff. Yes, and she tries to do the right thing with the the gun and the police, and and the police decide to kill her for it. And it's at this point that I locked on that there's this bad cop who's the mustached cop, basically, and that's how I was able to track that. Um, then I note that Kowalski had a cop passed and we kind of already talked about what happened here. Um, and then we move to a new section and then Mr. Man gets shot at by Mr. Mustache. Um, we don't know why here at all, but we know that he's a criminal and Mustache is a cop, so it doesn't seem too out of play, I guess. But with him being a corrupt cop, it complicates it in a weird way because i'm trying to understand the relationship here um d we it and then we go to a next thing we find out d is the girl in the trunk um and that ultimately it was her gun that was in the puddle um from an altercation and then we we find out that emma rose ran away when she was a child from her childhood home um and she was upset with her dad basically being a parent. I was expecting the dad to be like, you know, abusive or something, but he wasn't. He was just kind of fed up with her, like using her shoelaces to be a kite or whatever and being like, come on, come home. We got to eat. And then she ran away because she had to be free. And I'm like, You're, you don't have it that bad. <laughs> so, which is fine. I mean, it's fine. Not everything has to be dark all get out but uh, book three um, we start with um, Kowalski again being upset with the corruption in the police office and she has this long argument with her partner and pulls a gun on a fellow cop on a bad day which was part of the reason that she was suspended I believe yeah I thought that was the main reason yeah Although I was wondering why they had co-ed dressing rooms. That would seem strange. Or even if they're going to have, because it's this large dressing room, you think there'd be kind of a woman's aisle and men. At least, yeah. And then we find out um, Kowalski's arguing with her wife, and most of it, the wife is kind of encased in shadow. But then at the end of it, she pops out, so I don't understand what the mystery is supposed to be about, because... Hmm. It's not like it's a reveal or anything. So, I don't know. Um, then we find Man bleeding from his previous altercation. He goes to try to buy a gun at a pawn shop and then finds out he can't buy a gun right then. There's a waiting period. And then he tries to go to a hotel to lie low from the people chasing him, but he doesn't have enough cash on him. So... I okay so then he runs out and then he gets found by mr mustache and some other cops and yeah and i think this is where you believed that's why he could have been in the trunk at that time 
Didn't they kill him at that point? Yes. And I thought that was a flashback, and then they threw him in the trunk. Then they went to get... Anyway, I thought there were two separate... Anyway, it's not worth worrying about. Well, no, I I understand. So what we find out is Mr. Man was a cop, too. He was in on a corrupt scheme that's never completely clear that somehow was smuggling large amounts of something through the evidence locker room. And these other cops, I guess, were in on it with him. But then something has gone haywire, so they're now killing everybody. But it doesn't really, I don't, I don't think we ever have that well explained to us. Right, and clearly what Dee's doing is some code to do something with the evidence room. Right. But how exactly that functions is never spelled out. Right. Why that's worth $500 a day to them. Like what, they must have, be trafficking a massive amount of something to just pay one little cog in the system who sends out a code $500 a day. So, I mean, uh, an over a real two-line explanation of this would just be to say uh, there's some conspiracy of corrupt cops that sucks three women into its web and they all almost get killed as the cops all try to kill each other too. <laughs> and and then in the end, they uh, they all kind of, they, they, they almost work together, but then don't work together and each go their separate way, the women. And some of them get money out of it and some don't. And that's also confusing. Right. And I mean, I could go through the plot here if we want to hold on to it. But basically, oh, sorry. I thought you'd reach the out. end already. <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's a couple other movements. But I mean, it's at this point, the three women find each other in this like abandoned warehouse and there's a bit of a shootout and then there's the fourth book is honestly mostly the postscript about like what these women do with their lives um but i mean at that point it's just cleaning up it's just story cleanup and uh, yeah so I think we're good to talk about it, but I don't know how you want to... Do you want to like go through the three main characters? Because I think that makes the most sense. Well, Dee is the character we start with, and she seems most interesting to me. Because, as you said, she's a junkie and a cripple, very down on her luck. And she's living this kind of solipsistic life where she just works on the crossword puzzle and spends all her time alone. And and I was really hoping to see, yeah. So and when she gets money, it's kind of interesting that she spends it on a stripper, because she has nowhere else to go. I mean, that bothered me because it didn't make any sense. Because essentially, she has a lot of money to spend, and she's lonely, and she's trying to deal with that. But I'm like, why wouldn't you go to a book club, a bar, uh, <laughs> anywhere? You know, if you have a bunch of money and you want to make some at least shallow friends, doesn't take much. You know. I, well, she's she's a person who's already so down and out that she can't think of anywhere else to go but a strip club. I guess that and because just her not... main love previously was a junkie. Well, I guess <laughs> did she die or just leave her? I'm not even sure. Uh, they left. They 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 thought of each other as presumed dead multiple times. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I know her whole 
arc, her whole character, I just couldn't get behind. Well, I wish she had more of an arc, and I wish they explored more. I first thought the story was just about what is your life like once you are this cripple junkie who is getting $500 a day, and what do you do with your life then? And that's why when the second woman came along, I thought it was just some other part of Dee's life. And so that's why I thought this was going to be a kind of a a semi slice of life, as you said, of of this person in this unusual kind of situation, you know, like a I don't know a character from a beat a beat beat beatnik era novel or something almost, yeah, you know, or a character from a Lou Reed song. <laughs> I, that's more of what I was expecting too. I mean, I yeah, so. I don't, we have her there and then we go through this whole drama with her, which is really only, I mean, really outside of the getting $500, the day she misses it, um, because she's strung out, uh, is one thing. And then she reacts immediately to it. And then, so really like most of this book is like two days of her life. Bad two days, but. And the other thing is, she's the one who uh, comes out the worst at the end, right? She actually ends up having to go to, to jail for six months or prison. And she um, ends up, I guess, not having any money and having to work at a convenience store. Whereas the other two, well, we could get to them next, but. Well, yeah, but I mean. So she goes through all this, but the the big thing that we get near the end is we learn about her cripple bit where she had this whole past with uh, another lover who, like you said, was another junkie and they were doing whatever they could to get money to get more drugs together and it all just went south. Just everything about her character was so non-sympathetic to me that it just made the things that happened to her kind of feel like, well... I had more sympathy for her than the other other characters in this book. More than Emma? Yeah, Emma was just your... It's kind of like the downtrodden poor person gets more downtrodden and, and the middle class person ends up with perhaps slightly traumatized but with a a ability to return to a nice middle class life at the end. So I didn't feel at all for Emma. Well, okay, so Emma was pretty milk toast, but like she runs away from home and she just wants to be free, and then she ends up in the middle of this for trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. and report a gun, and then she has this horrible moment. She gets through it. She, like you said, she doesn't get arrested or anything. Why would she? What did she do? Um, and then she's able to take some money that came out of this whole situation and essentially buy a house up in the hills and she can go fly her kite every day. And and her main character beat is that is something about flying, you know, the sense of freedom you get flying a kite, which came off as very schmaltzy to me. That's fair. And I, she's not some great character or anything. I just, she didn't do anything wrong. She gets to have her happy ending Hooray. Also, to me, it was also kind of lonely and sad because right. she just wants to be alone and fly a kite. And that's all she wants to do. It, just something about it hit me as odd. 
but more sympathetic than wanting to just be a junkie, I guess. I don't know. I find being a junkie more dramatic and, um, I don't know. So I found that a more interesting character. Fair enough. But, you know, to each their own. Um, and then apparently neither of us were very uh, drawn in by Kowalski, although a lot of time was spent with her. Yeah, because I, I think she's kind of needed to make the story happen. So her character arc is more tied to the plot than the other characters. Um, but she was so mixed up with the bad cops. And then she's trying to turn around and do a good thing. But I mean, her partner's upset that she's putting herself in danger, despite the fact that she's not even a cop anymore. And she gets injured, but she gets all these accolades and gets to become a policewoman again. Right, Which, so yeah. why does it turn out so good for her and so bad for... Um, I mean, all three of these women were nearly killed. Mm-hmm. So presumably when they're found, they've been you know nearly beaten to death and blood everywhere and all these cops who've shot each other and <laughs> tried to kill them. Mm-hmm. It's funny that Dee would go to prison. Well, I mean, Dee was helping. How do they even tie Dee to it? I mean... When the when they when the supposedly rest of the cops, the good cops, come and find, it's just she's just another victim, right? She's just lying there in a pool of blood. She confesses, basically. She does. Yeah, I mean, she tells them the whole story. Is what they say. The how, the why, the details of it aren't there because that's not what we get to see. Which is bizarre because that feels like the most crucial point of her character arc through this entire story and we don't get to know the details of it even in postscript which is part of the problem i guess with this whole thing is like if we're we're so focused on these three characters and there's this bizarre plot going on but the ultimate machinations of the plot never quite revealed to us the character arcs are pretty shallow overall the characterization across these characters comes out but by the time we get there across the four books, it feels kind of like, okay, we have these three very distinct characters that barely have any interaction off of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the big, the biggest thing and the best thing for D is there's one point where they're all in the warehouse. She's going to drive off with the car and just leave the other two to rot because you can never trust a junkie, is what she says. And then she turns around and goes back for him because she grows a conscience. And, like, that's supposed to be a big deal. I'm like, but, I don't know, just choosing not to leave two people to die that helped you along, especially through this, felt a little... But then they choose not to help her out, right? That's my impression. Why did they not? I must have missed that. Why didn't they help her out? They just all decide to go their own way and not fight together once she's saved them i mean kowalski shot at the cop and then was in a bad situation so d saves her emma's like i don't know and how come i mean it doesn't even uh so much of this doesn't make sense really when i think about it too much like how come emma could run away and the other two somehow are just stayed what were they doing, twiddling their thumbs, waiting till the bad cop comes back? Well, Kowalski was sitting around waiting to resolve it because that's what she came there to do. 
was wrap this up because she wanted to absolve her sins, basically. Maybe I have to read it for a third time to pick up on all of that. It's not very present, but I remember she wasn't, she's the one person who came to the warehouse. She was not the character who was dragged there. She came there because she was following up leads on mustache to indict him and supposedly the other dirty cops uh-huh. um, to, to put this all to bed. And so that, what she was accused of could be, you know, leveled at the people who were really doing the damage. It's really confusing because we keep moving around in these loops of time and we, we see some of this stuff in the very first book. Yes. Then we come back to it and then we go away from it. Then we come back to it, go away for it. And I'm confused of when does Kowalski save them? And then Emma runs away and I, you know, so Kowalski it more seems al- like her gunfight with the other police happens before she opens the warehouse door where the two women, other two women are trapped. It, it couldn't be because she was bleeding out and Mustache was about to. Mustache basically made a deal with her. So this page I'm showing shows her opening the door and saying, uh, she, she opens the door, she kicks open a door. But D saves her by running over the cop. They say, are, are you a cop? A good cop? And she says, yeah, yeah, I am. And that's the end of volume three. And then at the beginning of volume four, we get D has, is in a car full of money, which I presume happened after, after Kowalski saved her. She's in a car full of money and she wants to get out of town and she's asking the the stripper whose only name she knows as Dancer because that's all the stripper would ever tell her um, to come with her. But then Dancer won't come with her when she doesn't know her name and just thinks her name is Dancer. And so she wants to escape before... But she's beaten up. Like maybe this happens before the cops actually catch her. But I felt like it happened after... She got out of the warehouse. If you're right, then why would you tell it like that? Because that's just... Because that, I mean... Uh. <laughs> so Fraction wants everything every way, right? He wants a total art book, but he wants to give you the impression of a tightly plotted, you know, book crime novel. And then he wants it to have the feel of Slice of Life. Yeah, And so t- somehow he thinks it makes it more clever by just chopping up the time bits in so many different ways that your head is spinning, even after two readings. Right, because... <sighs> and I think if he had simplified it down to about half this length and only done a little bit of jumping around in time... You know, maybe watched Pulp Fiction one more time and, and limited himself to the number of time jumps in that movie. Because um, <laughs> it is trying to be like that a bit, right? Time, Pulp Fiction yeah. comes back at things from different times and then you suddenly kind of see them differently. But this doesn't do that. It doesn't help you see things differently so much as make you more confused. But what Pulp Fiction does 
with the time jumps more so than just jump time to give you revelation with context is that the time jumps are also contextualized on certain characters kind of like what this book is but because certain characters die at certain times or have a cutoff from the story at certain Mm -hmm. times or there's a big object in play it creates a connection that you can follow through whereas here we're questioning the order of events because it kind of could go either way maybe or maybe we just haven't thought it through enough and we're not following a certain detail to tell us which order it is but like it's a story let us read the story and then make the connections not try to just patch the story back up for you i suppose the pitch on this could be uh pulp fiction meets uh love and rockets as drawn by david mazzucchelli <laughs> So I have to say, I am wowed by the art here, and it gets better from volume to volume. And um, and it's nothing like what I've seen Elsa Chartier do before. Like, she is evolving like crazy from her. The first time I saw her art, she was drawing um, a miniseries about Starfire at DC Comics, which was perfectly well drawn. But, I mean, this stuff... You, as I thumb through it, I think I'm looking at an amazing comic. It's just that it doesn't make any sense once I read it. And I think she she doesn't help. <laughs> but her art is beautiful. But but she doesn't help give us like better hints about the time chain. You know, maybe Matt Fraction thought, well, I don't have to explain all these time jumps because it'll be clear by the art or something. There might have been some disconnect with the storytelling between the creators. Yeah. Um, but I, but I love her artwork and the coloring by Matt Hollingsworth, which is kept extremely simple, is always on point and, and makes it look beautiful also. But, I mean, for all this, it took us months to kind of get up the gander to do this. This was kind of the uh, vegetables. It almost killed our podcast, right? <laughs> it was kind of the vegetables of comic reading. Like It was like, okay, I have to chew through this again and try to make sense so I can talk about it. And even then, it's... And we've chewed through some fairly complex comics before, and we gave the Seal College try, but man, I don't know. And maybe, you know, and maybe I need to slow down and take in some more details, but I, the the problem was is that I wasn't motivated to, because it really feels like the main character is D, and I wasn't particularly mm-hmm. interested in what she had to say or do, and then... I guess I was more sympathetic to Emma Rose, but I found her boring. Right. And then Kowalski, it feels like Kowalski needed to, we need to follow Kowalski more linearly. Because the jumping around just threw me off. But I mean, if I see her arc, so like, Oh, she's a dirty cop. She kind of feels bad about it. And then we have this years passing of her as a 911 operator in disgrace where she's not really a cop. And then we get kind of this play with her wife the whole time. It's like, oh, okay. And then that, like, playing that linearly sounds more interesting than the presentation we got. Um, I, I guess it's also worth noting, I mean, Emma Rose doesn't seem to have a romantic life, but it's, you know... It's lesbian. She may be the straight woman. (laughs) She may be the one straight woman, but it's hard to be sure. Well, it's closer to asexual. Like, 
I don't know, which is fine. It's just, it's a weird connection to have in a book like this where they're all downtrodden and they're not really. It does make you wonder is Matt Fraction trying to tell us something about the lives of lesbians or did he just decide there's been too many books about heterosexual people, so I'll just make these characters uh, gay? But, yeah. It feels like there's something that's trying to be done there, and I just didn't get anything from it. It's just like, oh, okay, so we have lesbian characters as the main one. The presumably straight guy is the villain, fine. And then... Presumably, because we don't know anything about the lives of all these dirty cops. Right. So... I presume that they live in mansions because they're funneling so much money through whatever their story is. (laughs) Yeah, that, that's part of it, too, is there's so much money in play. It feels like there needed to be some other yeah, element there. Right. I thought the whole Mr. Man thing would open up. If, if it was going to be pursued, it would open up into some really fabulous, wild kind of backstory. But I thought the IRS was going to come in. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> You know, if you have that much illegal money, what you should do is buy comic book art. (laughs) Go to conventions, buy the art in cash from dealers and uh, artists at the convention. There'll be no paper trail. And then you'll have these legitimate pieces of art, which you then sell through Heritage Foundation. Sorry, not Heritage Foundation, Heritage Auctions. Art has been used to funnel money for generations. It's yeah, a it's a great way. Age to do old, it. yeah. But if you think, of, especially with comic book conventions, like who expects to get a receipt or a, a record? The artists can be happy if you give them four hundred dollars for a page in cash. No one's ever going to ask a question. So we got a plan. All we need to do is get the illegal money in the first place. Oh, okay. I, I'm glad we're recording this. <laughs> So the main thing, I mean, I think I had extra disappointment because I actually love the idea of a series of really nice hardback novellas, let's say, that have some, like if it was what I thought it was going to be with this fantastic art, and it was like a series of semi-slice of lives, each one possibly linked to the other. I almost still feel like that's his original intention but it's probably just my imagination yeah well I, I that's what hooked me initially was like this sounded like it had so much promise and it in my mind it was like oh matt fraction wants to play will eisner you know ah yeah that could have been yeah that kind of approach and i was excited for that kind of an idea you know something smaller quieter but more yeah. artful and that was not what we got at all. And I can't, that's not to say it's bad for that, right? Like that right. clearly wasn't what he was going for. Um, that's just where I was walking in. So I was, you know, blindsided the first time. And then the second time, just trying to put this together, it's just, uh, it's, it's not his best work. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to hand it to Matt Fraction that he's always doing something different, right? Uh, you wouldn't look at his uh, some of his work at Marvel and ever guess he would do uh, that ODYC book. <laughs> and, 
And then from ODYC, you'd never guess that he's doing that. Um, uh, what's it called? I'm currently reading it, and I can't. It's not Strong Man, but something like that. Adventure Man, Adventure Man. And I'm really enjoying his Adventure Man comic. And I hope that continues, actually, because now that I say that, I realize the first five issues came out, and then it stopped. The Dodsons just announced more was coming. Oh, okay, good. So there, and there he's playing with pulp because this is kind of playing with pulp too. But there, he's successfully playing with pulp, I think, so far. This I mean, makes that's... me nervous now that he'll blow it. Why does this feel like pulp to you? This feels more like straight crime, I guess. Well, I think of crime fiction as coming out of pulp fiction, you know. Okay. And in fact, you know, pulp fiction, the movie was called pulp fiction. A lot of pulp fiction. A lot of what we now call crime fiction came from the pulps. You know, that whole Jim, James N. Kane kind of book. and uh, Sure. I mean, but I mean, I guess in my mind there's a distinction the way it's handled. Like, uh, no, like the, you wouldn't call this a noir. Right. Well, like if, you might call this being like French, the French New Wave cinema, which drew a lot from noir. So I see this as drawing from pulp, um, but dressing it up in in a different way. Uh, yeah, this one just feels different to me from all that because there's no like dashing action hero here. There's no big. I mean, really, there's no big plot or conspiracy. It's just this kind of winding around. But I mean, if you were to, I think the reason why this was so chopped up is if you were to play this straight, it'd be pretty quick. I really hope that this artist, Eliza Chartier, teams up on a better project next because I, I think she could be a bit of a star if, if she got on the right project. I'd agree with that. You know, like, like David Mazzucchelli got hooked up with uh, Frank Miller at the right time. I'd, I have a feeling this is kind of the trajectory up. Like um, the projects Fiona Staples was doing right before Saga were decent, but weren't quite anything that was going to uh well, spark the entire I don't market. think it's gonna kill Matt Fraction's career, but <laughs> it's certainly the worst thing I've read by <laughs> No. He'll be fine. But it's a from a publishing angle, it was a pretty daring thing image did. It's a shame that this that the that the story didn't meet this kind of like beautiful publishing that they did for the book. Right. Right. Well, we had talked about Rom and I actually would be up for just chatting about some issues of, of the comic book Rom, the space Knight from Marvel in the eighties. Maybe they started in the late seventies. I have of the first 10 issues. I have all but one. Maybe I could try and get that and we could, see how many start with issue one and see how many we want to talk about sure i have the entire run except for one annual and a couple of the later issues so i should be but i don't think i don't think i want i don't have that many um well i have maybe a total of 20 (laughs) issues and i don't think we want to sit down and read all of rom (laughs) well you don't talk about that as 75 what is it even though i obsessively sorry don't want to talk about what you don't want to talk through like 75 issues right. and three annuals. and Although I'm obsessively trying to collect all of them. Yeah, I don't want to talk about all of them, at least in one podcast. 
But anyway, so we'll we'll hit up some ROM. We'll talk a little more about which issues. But I'm personally thinking of maybe looking at the first ten issues. Maybe Sounds first good. five will be enough. Yeah, I'll I'll pull it out, read through some, and we'll see how it goes. And hopefully, with stuff like that, we can uh, get back onto a more of a regular pace. Yeah, I'd like that. <laughs> <laughs>